Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today I am so happy to welcome to The Stacks, Kaveh Akbar. Kaveh is a writer, poet, and educator, and his new book, Martyr is also his debut novel. It's about a young Iranian man who is grappling with his family history, his own addiction, and his desire to have his life and death matter. I read and absolutely loved this novel, and I am so thrilled I get to talk with Kaveh today about his impulse to proselytize art in all of his work, how he researched for the book, and how writing a book of prose compared to his writing of poetry. There are no spoilers in today's episode. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for January is Erasure by Percival Everett, and we will be discussing that book with Zach Stafford on Wednesday, January 31st. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of the Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love this show and you want more of it, like access to the best bookish community on earth, okay, I might be biased, but it's true, you've got to join the Stacks Pack at patreon.com slash the Stacks. For just $5 a month, you get our fantastic reading tracker, which is only available until January 31st. You get access to our year-long reading challenge, bonus episodes, entry into the Stacks Pack, amazing Discord, and you can come to our monthly virtual book club meetups. It's a great space to let your reading life flourish alongside other readers and lovers of this show. Plus, and this might be me burying the lead, but by joining the Stacks Pack, you make it possible for me to make this show every single week. So please head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join us. Shout out to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Jessica Gwynn, Amy, Allison Greenhouse, Christiana Rodriguez, Adrian Davenport, Lauren Rhodes, Lamont Jones, and Lydia LP. Thank you all so much for joining the Stacks Pack and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with Kaveh Akbar. All right, everybody. 2024, new year, same me, except for I already found a novel that I love this year, which is 
Incredible and unbelievable. I am joined today by Kaveh Akbar. He is a poet. He is also the author of a de- his debut novel. It's called Martyr with an exclamation point, which we will talk about. Kaveh, <laughs> welcome to the Stacks. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's a sincere honor to be here. I'm so happy to be here. I have to. We have to shout out Clint Smith because he's the reason I know about your book. When he was on the show, yeah. we recorded in March, but the episodes aired in April, and he just casually mentioned, "I'm reading this book. That's really great. You have to keep an eye out for it." I immediately started my 2024 book. I'm excited about list with one book on it because it was very early to be starting the list. But you know, Clint (laughs) says it. And so I'm really excited to be here with you now because I feel like I've been like waiting for this thing. And Clint was right. It's good, which I hate to say. I hate Clint. I hate for Clint to be right because he's already like handsome and has a great voice and he's a great writer. And then he like also is right. And, I, and I was a D1 it. athlete too. Don't and forget. And was a D1 he, athlete. And he knows Steph Curry. It's just yeah. all the things. Anyways. Yeah. It's really obnoxious. He's the worst person to be friends with because he's better at everything. everything. Like like his, he's better at his hobbies than you are at your main thing. Yeah. I get that sense about him, but he's yeah. at least like kind of like soft spoken about it. He's not like super yeah. in your face, you know, like yeah. he's not like an asshole uh, yeah. about it. No, he's least. the best. He's, yeah. he, he is one of the great sort of um, stewards of my, learning how to write a prose book. Um, I love that. Have my back at every step of the way. I love that. Okay. So now we've done our Clint Smith, uh, obligatory (laughs) Clint Smith praise. Now we get to talk about you. 30 seconds or so. Tell folks about Martyr. Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm going to use some of my 30 seconds to just say how much I love the show and how stoked I am to be here. What a, what a surreal thing. Martyr is the story of a young man named Cyrus Shams, who is an Iranian immigrant to America. Um, he's orphaned. He's in, he's newly in recovery. Um, and he doesn't feel particularly attached to being alive. And he is kind of obsessed with this idea that the thing that he can offer the world is a meaningful death. And he's trying to figure out how to make a meaningful death count. And he hears about this artist who's performing her own dying in the Brooklyn Museum in New York. And so he goes to interview this artist for this project that he's doing around secular martyrdom. Um, and in the course of this journey and these conversations, his whole life begins to flip upside down and there are, you know, and, and things get zany from there. Things happen. I should say to everyone, you can listen to this episode. We are not going to spoil. If at any point (laughs) we spoil, we will make sure we cut it out and you do not hear a single spoiler because you just got to read the book. Um, Okay, I want to start here with the book. Where did you get this idea for this book? I have, we're recording this before the book has come out. And usually when I interview someone, sometimes like I get a chance to hear them talk about the book or talk about the Mm -hmm. work, but I really haven't heard you talk about it yet, which is exciting for me, but also means that like, I'm nervous that everything I ask you, everyone else is going to ask you. So I am going to try to ask you some tricky questions, but for now, I just sort of want to know where this, where like Cyrus came from in this story and like your interest in martyrs. Yeah. Well, I should say too, I haven't really spoken about the book much, you know, we're still, we're still, Two a few weeks? weeks away from, yeah, yeah, the 23rd. I don't know what that math is, but we're still a ways away from um, the actual publication of this book. And so talking with you is one of the first real conversations with a reader who's not <laughs> married to me or, <laughs> you know, like a like a dear friend of mine who right. I've known forever. So, uh, yeah, the, the idea for this book, it actually started with the idea of the artist's performance of oh. her own dying. Um, 
you know, there's a famous performance by the performance artist Marina Abramovich called The Artist is Present, where she sits in the gallery and people come and sit across from her for a minute and she just makes sustained eye contact with them. And I always thought it would be fascinating for someone with a terminal illness to do a similar performance of their own dying right. in the in the space of an art museum, right? To in in a culture where we are so insulated from death and, you know, images of the dead and um, even when we encounter the dead, they're, you know, fully made up and, you know, they're in they're in their best gowns or their right. best suits or whatever, you know. And so um, to actually encounter the dying, right, I always thought that was an interesting idea. And one of the beautiful brilliance of fiction is that it allows you to play out a thought experiment, yeah. right? It allows you to sort of enact such an idea without actually having to be literally dying of terminal breast cancer myself, right? right you know, right. And so it began with that. And I actually had this sort of, I mean, I've written a trillion drafts of this book and they all start, um, I, I handwrite everything. And so the earliest drafts were very sort of, uh, what is it Tuesdays with Maury? Is that the yeah. book where it's like, you're like sat across from the dying yeah, person yeah, yeah. and there, it's the sort of oracular, brilliant yeah. dying person. Mitch album. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, but I realized that there was no real sort of narrative pulse there. You know, it was just sort of a repository for this person to be saying wise, gnomic, oracular yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And so in figuring out a way to create a narrative superstructure around that art object, you know, Cyrus, who is now really the protagonist of the book, yeah. the center of the book, um, came into, clarity and became the vehicle. Wow. Okay. You said something that we have to go back to. Uh, yes. You write everything by hand? <laughs> I do. I do. I have thousands of pages of notebooks and notepads and just scrawled. And I'm super unorganized about it too. Oh so like God. I'll be traveling and ah. I'll be writing on a hotel notepad <laughs> and I'll be writing on the backs of menus and these and this and that. And then I'll just, you know, periodically <gasps> oh. I'll type it up into the computer, but the typing it up into the computer is such an important revision stage for me because, you know, it, with my hand and my, you know, it's easy to just make stuff on a page. It, there's literal sort of kinetic propulsivity. There's literal momentum. Right, Whereas right. on the screen, you know, you're trying to fine tune everything as you write it and it makes everything, you know, you're writing in Garamond maybe already and it <laughs> looks so sharp and it looks so pretty that it sort of disguises half thoughts as thoughts. So yeah, for me, I have to, I have to start everything by hand. This is a thing I've heard other authors talk about, about the font mattering to them. <laughs> and it is yeah. for me, a reader, and a person who sometimes has to write but truly does not like writing and does not mm -hmm. feel precious about it. I'm just like, how quickly can I turn this in? <laughs> I have never once considered font. Like, really? It is so interesting to think that like, I mean, sometimes like sometimes there'll be a book where like one letter is like weird and I'm like, that's such a weird, like, why is the G so loopy, you know? But like, I have never read a sentence and even, or like written a sentence and ever thought like, let me change this to Times New Roman and see if it like feels different or like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm in, like, unless it's Comic Sans, you know? Yeah. Like, unless yeah. it's just well, like Well, goofy. I mean, but that's the zenith of the thought though, right? Is, is like imagine switching from Comic Sans to Helvetica or something very stately, Garamond, right? right? Like right. that's that's the zenith of the same thing. And and I should also say that I started out in poetry. I mean, right. my whole life I've spent calling myself a poet. So I think a lot about the, I'm very sensitive to the, the field of the page, right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. the way that the poem as visual object works. Um, yeah. you know, just visually entering 
my, you know, and so a, po- a, a page of, you know, really, really pretty looking prose, you know, the way that Garamond makes anything look, you know, will make Lauren. I don't even know which font beautiful. that is. I'm going to change my Garamond. Oh, I'm sorry. It's I'm like, it's like a Times New right Romany. I'm sorry. No, I'm going to look like it a, up and see how a, it looks on my page. It's a sort of serif uh, Times New. You, you'll recognize it when you see it, but. Oh, yes, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yes, Garamond. I do feel different. So about you can myself. see how yes. saying <laughs> saying anything in Garamond will kind of give it this stately veneer. Yes. You know? Yes, I'm more of an aerial girl myself. That's what. Yeah, Google... I like aerial. I like to compose in Calibri or aerial just because they feel like neutral. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. it feels like I'm just seeing, or or I like to do first drafts and the or second drafts or whatever. You know, like. The the drafts where I'm still very new to the prose and it's very molten, I like to do in aerial or delivery. Yeah. Since we're talking about how you write, we should just do this section of the episode now at the sure, very beginning. Sure. Then we'll go back to the sure. book. Sure. When you're writing on paper and you're not just like out at a hotel or like somewhere doing on scraps, like if you're sitting down to write, is yeah. it a notepad? My sister-in-law is a professor. She works on her dissertation. Sometimes she gets giant poster boards and writes oh, wow. on like, oh, that's cool. she, like she's very small. And so yeah. she'll like get on top of the poster board and like crouch oh, down wow. like, on like, the really ground just, and wow. like write on that, it. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm like, so she just does it sometimes if she feels stuck. She'll like sure. get a big sure. piece of paper, or, like a big piece of butcher paper or something. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering, are you using lined paper? Is it in a journal? Is it a notepad? I'm a yeah. I'm a yellow legal girly myself. I do. I love a yellow legal list. pad. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. my place. Yeah. I love a yellow legal pad. That's that's kind of my platonic ideal okay. writing surface. But I will say, I often default to ye old notebook because like a moleskin moment or like a composition yeah i don't need to be so precious as a mole you know any any old you know like you get a lot of you get a lot of notebooks traveling around and going to universities and stuff like this and so any any old you know, I, I actually, I like the ones with the dots, you know, instead of the lines, you know, that, oh, that are like more grids. For, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the dot grids. Yeah. I like those. I like those too. Um, but yeah, I like a yellow legal pad just because again, it feels so low stakes. Like mm-hmm. it, it feels almost like the paper of a rough draft. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's <laughs> like you just flip and, and it's so easy to tear stuff out too. Yeah. Right. Um, the problem is that I often, you know, just toss it back in my backpack or whatever, and then the pages will tear out and get all out of order. And sometimes I'll lose a page or lose a couple pages and then I'll be heartbroken. So, um, but a lot of, a lot of martyr was written on yellow legal pads. I have a, I have a whole, uh, and the book is yellow now. So that, and the book is yellow. It It persisted. Yeah. They, they intuited that through the, through the language. Do you snack or beverage while you write? And when do you write? Yeah, I have an IV drip of coffee going okay. at any given moment. And how do you take um, your coffee? Uh, well, great question. I love this podcast. <laughs> this is going great. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if our, you know, if the listeners are pretty. Yeah, they're going to love this. They uh, always love yeah, when we get great. into the weeds. On like, I'm like, we're going to talk about this, and, and then all of a sudden, I get all these messages about how weird shit got. Usually, we no. get weird later, but I, I'm vibing. Sure, no, so. this is perfect. This is perfect. Are you a coffee? <laughs> is that what you're drinking? I'm right a tea. Now? I'm a tea girly. I take my black tea with uh, milk and sugar. Like oh, British milk and British. sugar. Oh, yeah, very British. Yeah, yeah, yeah And a yeah, lot of yeah. both. Half and half, well, honestly. Let's, wow, let's be real. Wow, it's not wow, milk, it's half I love half. it. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, so I sort of trained myself to take my coffee black so that in the absence of additives, I would still enjoy it, you know? Um, but when I'm feeling fancy, I do like a little bit of like oat milk or whatever's around, you know, um, uh, oat milk or whatever's in the house just to just to set, sort of set it off and feel nice about this. myself. Yeah. Any snacks? 
I'm not a big snacker. I'm not a big. All oh, right, you're friends like... with Clint. I should have fucking known. <laughs> you people don't eat. Clint, the Clint yeah, well, community I, does not yeah, eat. I, I tend to. So I tend to write in the mornings, and <laughs> the food tends to be the demarcator of when I'm done writing and can begin like answering emails or you know being a being the sort of person who manages a Got life it. that I get to be an artist in. You know, because you're a professor, also, right? Yeah. Right, of right. Creative I teach writing. at the university. Yeah, I teach at the University of Iowa, and so usually I spend my mornings into the early afternoon on whatever creative thing I'm working on, um, and then I shift around noon or one or two into answering emails, working on you know working on class stuff, uh, etc. Can I ask a question? I've always been really curious about people who teach writing as they write a book. Yeah. Do your students and their work ever get in your way? Yeah. So no, they don't. Um, this, the, I, um, I, I mean, not in the nicest that, way if your students no, 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 are listening. No, 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 no. I don't I want totally, them, I don't I want totally you to feel like you. you have to defend their work. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I mean, my answer is that, so like when I was writing Martyr, I, I, I was on this sort of force feed, uh, narrative diet. So I was reading two novels a week and watching a movie a day just to like, just dump narrative into myself. Mm. Right. And so I was just broadly kleptomaniacally cribbing everybody you know what i mean that you know the students work would indelibly inflect my thinking mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be so there was never a moment where i was like "Ooh, this line right. you know right. is so you know also i'm teaching uh here at iowa a last year i've only been here at iowa for a year and a half and i've taught a lot of undergraduate courses right and and um, and I've been lucky that I've been able to teach mostly literature undergraduate right. courses. So I've been teaching, you know, poetry of antiquity and, and, uh, and, you know, thinking about Mesopotamian and Mesoamerican and sub-Saharan African poetries and thinking about, and so the texts that I'm teaching tend to inflect my actual, the registers of my language more than the students' responses to them. It's interesting to hear that you were like consuming a lot of narrative and stuff as you were yeah. writing this, because one of the things that I really loved about the book and one of the things that really stuck out to me is how many references to other art pieces there are. Like there's a, there's a choral opera that's referenced <laughs> yeah. that I was reading the book in the bathtub because that is my favorite place to read. And I like sure. had to reach that's out right. of the tub and like get my phone and play um, Allegri's Misery. Yeah, yeah. And I've been listening to it daily now for like the last three days since I, since, yeah. since that section through to today. So I think, yeah, yeah, like three days. And there's so many things that I like was looking up as I was reading or like trying to find pictures of, or like, and I, and I had the sense of like, oh, the author here is like very interested in art mm -hmm. broadly and like the stories behind art, which I mm -hmm. thought was really interesting because it's really not about the song. I mean, it is the scene that is like so good. Um, <laughs> it is about the song, but it's really about the story behind the song. And so I guess the question here, and this is sort of a big question about the book, is like, how are you thinking about art ownership or like <laughs> art? Who Who is the art about? Is it about the artist mm. or is it about the art consumer or oh my God. both or neither it's such a big yeah. question no 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 no. i, I love it first <laughs> of all i love that you're listening to allegri's misery, misery. also did you know, know that allegri means like cheerful 
<laughs> Cheerful's Misery. Yes. Yeah. I, and at I first, when I pulled up the song on Spotify, it just said Allegri and then like colon Misery. And yeah. I was like, is this supposed to be like, I thought that was the title of the song. Like I don't double. listen to a lot yeah. of classical music. So I didn't sure realize enough. that like the artist yeah. is in the title. And yeah. then I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's the guy's name. But that's so interesting because like, obviously like misery is like sad and allegri in Italian means cheerful. And I only know that because in ballet, you do a petit allegro, which is like yeah. a fast dance, fast feet kind of thing. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. I've always just... been fascinated by that piece and the story behind it, um, which is, you know. Um... Well, we'll save it. You have to read the book. Yeah, we'll save it. Because it's so yeah, yeah. good. Sorry, the way sorry, it comes sorry. up yeah. in the book is so yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, I don't want yeah. anybody it's, to know it, anything. It's funny because it's a true historical <laughs> yes. story. But it is a little spoiler adjacent. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I, it has always felt incumbent on me to proselytize the art that I love when I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the same way that like, if you have a Kit Kat and you're with three friends, you're not going to eat the entire Kit Kat bar by yourself. You know okay. what I'm saying? We're like, different. It's like... We're different. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sharing that Kit Kat. <laughs> well, okay. I I, I would. It, there's also this thing in Persian culture called taraf, which is like this elaborate etiquette dance where you come over to my house and I say. Tracy, do you want some tea? And you say, no, 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 I right. couldn't, I couldn't. And I say, no, no, please, please, please. So I pour you a cup of tea. And then I bring out a bowl of fruit and I say, hey, Tracy, do you want some, you know, you want an apple? And you're like, no, 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 right. I couldn't, you know? And I'm like, yes, 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 you know? And like the old joke is that two Iranian men can never get on an elevator because they'll oh, yeah. keep saying, no, That's after you, book. no, after you. Yeah, 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 <laughs> put it in the book. Yeah, after you, after you. And then, uh, and then the elevator doors will just open and close. Right. Um, but I, th I think that there's some of that in the way that I love art too. Mm. Is like I just I love it, I love it. The the things that I like, I really become obsessive about and really really love, and and then immediately it becomes urgent that I you know push that outwards and that I you know get every because it, it adds so much value and texture and meaning and joy to my life that I want the people that I love to be the beneficiaries of that. But it can be suffocating, right? right. And it can be exhausting. You know, my spouse has dealt with me for you know, a decade now of like being like, you're going to love this movie. And then just like hawkishly watching right. them as they watch it, which is the most obnoxious <laughs> I thing. I can relate I really... to this. This is, yeah. this is how this yeah. podcast started. Yeah, I know. Like... I know. That's what I'm saying. We have, we have these important <laughs> yeah. simpaticos. You, we're of, we're of the same tribe. Yeah. Um, and so inevitably that's going to come into the art that I make too. Um, I'm, I'm never not thinking about Allegri's misery, just as I'm never not thinking about, EPMD strictly business, just as I'm never not thinking about any of the other art pieces discussed in the book, right? Mm -hmm. um, just as I'm never, you know, and so uh, Bruegel's Fall of Icarus is plays prominently late oh, in yeah. the book, right? Um, Bruegel's Landscape of the Fall of Icarus. And so um, getting to make characters nerd out about this stuff in ways that feel germane to the narrative is thrilling, right? right? Again, it's, it's, you get to just have, and, and instead of having to exhaustively write, you know, a 10,000 word essay for art forum about why I feel so moved by this piece of art or whatever, I can just think 500 excited words about it without right. exhaustively sort of researching every provenance, right? And just be a more on authentic representation of how that effusion actually feels in my own brain. So fiction is, fiction is a delicious Sandbox, a delicious sandbox. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful place to play in that specific way. Did you like writing a narrative? I mean, you're a yeah. poet, and I I know another poet who's working on his first novel, and 
he's saying like that it's exciting, but also it's hard because it's different. It's really different. It's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. Uh, I mean, that's why I was on this narrative diet, right? Because I didn't want to presume, you know, the hubris of just saying because I've studied poetry my whole life, I would immediately know how to write a novel. And in fact, I think poems are closer to dance or statuary than they are to narrative fiction, mm. um, at least lyric poetry. And uh, I, I think that in terms of the crossover, for me anyways, um, there was so much just architectonically that I had to learn. You know, like I I knew how to have, I knew how to say wise seeming things, you know, or have like right. characters say wise seeming things to each other, but explaining how they moved through doorways and how they mm. got on a plane to the city where they would have this conversation or why they were sat at a table and what the table looked like. And, right. you know, like these, these sorts of things are the crisis of narrative. Right. And, right. and, and I had no, there was nothing in my education that ever trained me to do any of that in a way that felt organic and not, and Oh, by the way, he got the money because blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah and that's <laughs> how he bought the plane ticket. And then he right. got, a, you know what I mean? Like to actually, right seamlessly blended in with the narrative is not something that came naturally to me at all. So, you know, that's why, that's how I could just watch any old movie on Netflix. I mean, it could be Pineapple Express or whatever. And I was still learning like how you get act, how you get characters through the beats of a narrative, right? Right. Um, How you get people through doorways and into conversations and stuff like, and what they're doing with their hands while they talk, et cetera. So I follow you on Instagram yeah, I was snooping. <laughs> cool, cool. I was snooping as one does. Yeah, um, yeah. And I also love the acknowledgments of the book. And there is a person who is the first person you think, which is Tommy Orange, author of yeah. There, There, and the forthcoming yeah. The Wandering Stars. Yeah, um, you should have him on. The I, Wandering Stars I want is to. So We're good. both from Oakland. I've been trying to get him to oh, want to be friends yeah, with me forever. It's such so, a natural thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's going to yeah. happen. I, this yeah, is my 100%. year. When I started yeah. the show, the year I started the show, 2018 is when There, There came out. And so I didn't oh, really sure. have a lot of people on the show because people were like, who the fuck is that girl? But sure, now, sure, I'm like sure. five years later, six years later, I'm like, Tommy yeah, Orange, it's 300 gonna happen episodes for us. in. Yeah. I actually yeah. think he went to middle school with my brother. No way. Yeah, my brother was like, I think I know that guy. Uh, anyways, I'm sort of curious about that relationship. I saw yeah. on your Instagram that you guys met once and then you met again recently for the first time, but you guys like have a daily writing group or something. You're like in constant contact. <laughs> I know you share an editor, I didn't figure yeah. that out. Yeah. What is that relationship like? Like, I, I just am such a fan of his. And yeah, I did. Too. And there are things in your book that I was like, oh, even before I saw that, I was like, oh, this does have Tommy Orange vibes because there's like all these different yeah. characters and they all have their different perspectives. And yeah. I knew that your book was published by Knomp, uh, by Knomp. So I knew that like there was a chance, you know, it, your your novel feels very Knomp. I don't know what that yeah. means, but like it no, does no, feel Knomp to, to me. me. Yeah, I mean, no, it's high yeah. praise. I couldn't yeah. articulate what that means. But like as I was reading it, I was like, this book is at the exact right place that it should be at. But I'm just curious about how you and Tommy work together and like what that relationship looks like. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's the, he's the, I mean, he's my, he calls it the band. We're bandmates. Um, And we, and every Friday we do band practice where we swap pages still to the, I mean, we just swap pages um, a couple days ago, but uh, we, we've sent each other Friday pages for years, I think since 2018. Wow. Um, And that is how these novels came to be. He wrote Wandering Stars and I wrote Martyr. Um, over the course of these Friday pages, um, he came, I was teaching at Purdue university at the time. And in 2018, he came as a visiting writer 
and um, he was actually brought by someone else. I didn't bring him. And I was like in charge of driving him around. Oh. And, <laughs> and as soon as he saw me, he ran up to me. Like he was like surrounded by, you know, a throng. By this point, like there, there had kind of hit yeah. a little okay. bit, Got you know. Um, and so he was surrounded by like a throng of acolytes. But as soon as he saw me, he literally like bounded down the sidewalk towards oh. me. And he had a copy of my very first chapbook, not even my first book, but like my first chapbook of poems. And he was like, you're one of my favorite poets, you know, oh. and, and I, I'm not sharing this to like guess myself, but it just like That's immediate, so cool. you know, like what just could like be connection. more, I know, like what could be more endearing, yeah. you know, like what could be more. And I, you know, and I'm like, you're Tommy Yeah, Yeah. And so we were driving around and, and at some point he told me that while I was driving him, he told me that he had just gotten to sit in on a Simpsons table read in California, like, like the actors doing cool. a table read of a new episode. Yeah. And I love, like the Simpsons is like a low, I mean, there's yes, a Lisa chapter Simpson in the book. Is in the yeah. Book. There's a Lisa Simpson chapter in the book. Um, and the Simpsons is like a huge, huge thing for me. Um, and just unconsciously under my breath, I was like, Oh, fuck you. Like I was just like, <laughs> like I was like, just like in that way that, you, you right, know, like right, not, right, right. it wasn't like animosity, but it was just like, I was so jealous, jealous yeah. yet that I couldn't, be the good sort of ambassador of the university. And he thought that was the funniest thing. And he like lost his mind laughing. And then we started talking like real people. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he, he wrote a poem that night and sent it to me. And so I wrote a poem once I got his poem and sent it to him. And then he was like, all right, when are we doing so the next cute. one? You know? Yeah. And so we started writing poems back and forth and then we started writing pages and then we started writing characters. And so, yeah, he wrote wandering stars, which is, extraordinary just absolutely utterly um everything you want it's like a prequel and a sequel to there there and it's also just this totally new thing it's it's if you love there there um this is it, it does everything i mean i i, I can't i, I can't, can't sing its praises enough but yeah so he's you know he's all over this book every every page of this book tommy has read a dozen times in wow. a dozen different forms, you know, in a dozen different drafts, you know, he's probably read, you know, this book could have been, you know, a thousand five hundred pages if I wanted it to be, if I just put everything that I'd written into Thank it. Thank God it's not. Um, I, I know, I know. Because we wouldn't know. be having this conversation. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I mean, that's part of the game, right? Part of the game is figuring out how to tell a story in a way that the reader will actually take in you know like Richard Pryor said he wanted to get you laughing so that your mouth would be open so he could pour the poison down mm. right and I think that like that understanding of delighting the reader yeah. you know like actually like ha recognizing that the opportunity cost of them reading a book that takes 10 hours or whatever to read is like you could learn how to order you could learn enough French to like order in a restaurant off Duolingo yeah. in 10 hours. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. you could watch a season of any, t you know, the yeah. opportunity cost of reading a 10 hour novel is so great that like, I, I'm, I'm very, very cognizant of that at every moment, you know? And so I wanted it to be as compact and irreducible as possible, which doesn't mean there's not like flights of imagination right. and, right. you know, fun right. and play, but I wanted it all to feel necessary. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there is, there is so much cut from it. Um, but I say this to say Tommy has read, you know, all uh, that other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Tommy has read like, you know, five or five, five martyrs back to back to back, you know? Well, I will say how I have been describing this book to people is like, this is one of the most enjoyable reading experiences that I've had. Like, I've just That's really, cool. I really enjoyed re Like, I just, I love your sentences and I love Cyrus. And like, I just, I, it was 
it's like sad and dark, which I love, but it's enjoyably sad and dark. And it's also like yeah. funny and like kind of like got a little ad like a little attitude. Not like a bad <laughs> yeah, attitude, sure, but like sure. a little bit of an attitude. Yeah. Um sure. and since you said this, I'm just curious now, what is not in the book that you wish could still be in the book? Oh, I mean, there's so much. I, I, th- none of it that I wish could still be in the book because I think that the book really is like yeah. the the correct reduced package, right? Um, but there are so many more dreams that aren't in the okay. book, right? There are so many more dream sequences. Of- I don't think it's a spoiler to say this. Cyrus, the main character, he has these. The way he helps himself like go to sleep is by like taking characters or people in his life and like creating scenes for them as he's like nodding off and they sort of become these dreams that he's like maybe controlling, but also just like observing. So there's one between um, Lisa Simpson and his, his mother who has died. There's one between his imaginary brother and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And there are these sort of like weird little interlude type thing. So yeah. there is an interlude. So it's not that, yeah. but it's like these yeah. like dream. <laughs> yeah, there's also an interlude. These like yeah. dream sequences that are also maybe like semi-conscious. It's like that space where you wake up early and then you can't quite fall back asleep, but you start thinking about like your to-do list. But then all of a sudden you're like at school and then you're like, wait, but yeah. I have to walk the dog. It's like that weird space. Yeah. Um, That's what, that's what we're talking about. The dreams. Yeah. So there's yeah. more so of there- those. Yeah, so there are these weird little scenes that are, and and it's it's a way of getting to know the characters, right? right. They, I mean, they were for me early on just a way. It was almost like an exercise, you know, mm. so that I could get to know who my, you know, some people make like a like a character bio sheet, and right? Like, you right, know, right, right. Cyrus Shams is six one, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, <laughs> da, 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 he's got brown hair, whatever, you know. And I sort of did these little dream sequences. Um, so there are those, I mean, there are, uh, Gabe, the Cyrus's sponsor in the book. Oh yeah. Um, it, there are scenes with him that, uh, ultimately were cut from the book scenes with him and Z actually, and his son, and Gabe's son, like at a diner, I put, I, I make zines, like I make little, it's nice to like have a creative practice that's not attached to how I buy my dog's food, right, you know? Right, right, right. Um, and so I, I, one of the things that I do is like paint and make little zines and stuff and. Um, and I did put, there's like a diner scene with them and I put that into the mm. zine. I, I'll, I'll make sure to send you one too. Oh, cool. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just little sort of riffs and ideas and, um, there's more of, uh, you know, sort of flashbacks to Iran and, um, there's an uncle in the book and <sighs> there's more, there's more uncle. Oh my God. Um, the uncle is, the uncle is my favorite part of the whole book. Yeah. Um, he's, a uh, he's. I dream about him, which is maybe not a very sexy thing That's for an author very, to say about a well, character. Well, it's also like a made. very dark dream. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the funny, you know, I, I uh, speaking of our friend Clint, uh, you read Ross Gay with him, yes, right? And yes. I think a lot of, I think that what your conversation got so right um, and what a lot of people miss about his work is that he is so brilliant. People are like, oh, he's such a joyful poet. He's such a delightful poet or a poet of gratitude but it's always gratitude made wise by having known grief yeah right? it's there's tied always to like, grief deeply yeah there's always like the sick father in the room or right. the 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 sick world in the room right. while there is you know which right. makes the grief i'm getting goosebumps talking about this because his, <laughs> his work means so much to me but and and that is the if, if the book is i mean the book is obviously about serious themes it's yeah. about yeah addiction and wanting to kill yourself and wanting to make meaning out of a life and um, and death and heritage and art. Um, but 
one can be consumed by all of those things and still mm-hmm. enjoy making out with their boyfriend. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. One can be consumed by all of those things and still enjoy a movie or a concert, you know? Right. Um, and, and I wanted that sort of braided mm-hmm. essence mm-hmm. to be the case throughout yeah. the book. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 it, hearing you say that it was enjoyable oh, to yeah. read. I mean, that's, that's everything to me. That, that no joke, that mean that's the most gratifying thing in the world to hear. Oh, yeah. Well, it was. Okay, wait, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook, with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay, we're back. I have some more questions about the actual book itself. And is the uncle's job in the military is that real or did you make that up so the uncle's job in the military in the iran iraq war was 
in the book, his job is to ride around the fields after the battles have been fought, right? He goes out at night wearing a big cloak with a flashlight under his face on top of a horse. Um, and his job is to just ride around. And these dying men who have just given their lives in this battle who aren't quite dead yet will see this hooded rider with an illuminated face holding a sword. He also has a sword um, and believe him to be the angel of death or, you know, in, in some ways he's there to validate their belief, you know, that they have died for a righteous cause. And right? so that if they won't see... so that they won't kill themselves because if yeah. they kill themselves, they will not get to go to the after the here right, right hereafter. Right. Because in lots of uh, Islamic theology or in, in, in lots of Islamic beliefs, um, if you kill yourself, even if you're already dying, even if you're dying on a battlefield, um, you don't get to go to heaven. Right. And so he's there to sort of bolster their resolve to die nobly without accelerating. And so, you know, it's the whole book at large is thinking about Cyrus wanting to kill himself. Right. And, right. and so there's this sort of mirroring um, with regards to that job being reality. Um, I my, so my father uh, was in the Iranian army, as were all of his brothers. And um, and he and the and I, I was working on this book early 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 stages as you can imagine <laughs> and i knew that about the so they would give the infantry the grunts um keys to wear around their necks that that were like they would call them keys to heaven right oh. the idea being that these infantry were so sort of expendable, mm -hmm. right? But they should be thinking of like the, they were themselves. definitely going to die. So you need this key, hundred thousand percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was the first war since World War One to use human wave attacks. In other words, like in, it, instead of like clearing a minefield, you know, slowly and deliberately of each mine, you just mm -hmm. threw out like a wave of men to clear the field and then throw out the right. second wave. You know, and so they would they would go into battle wearing these keys around their necks as as you know keys to heaven. And I was writing about that. And I asked my dad the word for, because they had a name. And I asked my dad what those keys were called. And as he was telling me, um, he also told me then uh, that each battalion had one of these soldiers, right? So it he, was real. -ish. Well, you so, embellished so, it, but this idea is. Yeah. I mean, again, like in, in my dad's consciousness and, you know, okay. my, my relationship to my dad is. Got complicated okay. and you know like all of our relationships with all we don't have parents, to do that yeah, yeah no, no no no. i'm just saying like in my dad's consciousness yeah, yeah. you know what he shared with me was wow. a version of this thing and i as you can imagine was instantaneously yes. obsessed with this idea of these men who were like their peers in every way except they would dress up as the angel and go out at night and <sighs> comfort the dying and encourage them to die bravely and not to accelerate their dying in any way. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I sort of was hoping you were going to tell me you just made it up. Speak. I'm sorry. Well, so again, like but I have assiduously, it could, it, it could, it could we, we're not sure, but the it fact lives that in the, it, it lives is, in the Schrodinger's Valley. I mean, again, like I can't, I, you know, if, if such a man existed, he's certainly not going to go on American news and right. talk about it. Right, right, you know right, what I mean? Right. And Iran isn't going to say right. that they had Got such it. a man do it. Right. And there's no way to prove that such a man didn't exist. Right. You know? Um, and so it just sort of lives in this Schrodinger, Schrodinger's Valley of um, possibility. Okay. As I mentioned, I was on your IG stalking you. And sure. on one of your posts of, I think maybe when you got the, 
arcs of these books, you mm-hmm. said something along the lines of like, this book isn't by you or of you, but but that it is you. And I'm curious, what what do you mean by that? I, I mean, I and I told my spouse this when we got the final copies of the book too. Um, they they were holding it and they were sort of like, how do you feel? And I, I, I really do. I mean, it's going to sound like I'm joking, but I really do feel like with the AI that we have right now, uh, today, like if you just fed this book to that AI and then like put that into like a talking mannequin or whatever, like it could be like 85% of hanging out with me. You know what I mean? Like, 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 it, like my spouse, like if, if I ever die or whatever, like my spouse can just feed this book into an AI mannequin and like, just kick it with me. I mean, I don't know that they would necessarily want to do that. Yeah. Right? But, but, uh, but it just, it feels like, you know, like what your thumbprint is to your hand. Like, this is like a brain print, you know what I mean? Like, right. it just it like, and, and, and it's such an uncanny way of talking about it. You know, I am in recovery. Um, and I'm so, I'm a sober person. I've been in recovery for a decade. And, uh, in my particular vein of recovery, they mark significant intervals of sobriety mm-hmm. with, uh, chips. Yeah. Um, and I remember holding my one year chip when I got it and, that feeling is almost like indistinguishable from holding the finished final copy of my book. Mm. Right. It's just like, it's not this like creative epic of my, like E-P-O-C-H, not (laughs) E-P-I-C. Is that pronounced epic? Epoch? I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. Uh, Bipoc? Who knows? It's hard to know for sure. There's so many words that I know on the page that (laughs) I never have occasion to say, but it's not this creative pinnacle. I mean, it is a creative pinnacle. It is the creative pinnacle of my life, but, um, but it really feels like the sort of like psycho spiritual culmination of like every meeting that I've ever sat in mm. and every, you know, every newcomer that I've ever helped and every, right. you know, every uh, prayer that I've ever prayed. You know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. like the culmination of my sort of psycho spiritual self more than it does a culmination of my creative self, which again, I know it sounds like so. It sounds like so sort of woo-woo and pie in the sky and sure. sort of pinky in the air and like I'm flattering myself. But it, it just, I, I can't. Right. And that's, I think that was like the sentiment of the Instagram that sounds like corny or whatever. But like, it really, it, it I, I can't say it any other way. Like, that's mm-hmm. what it feels like to me. It's just like, here is, here is my heart. Maybe it'll fit in your chest, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like some of the marketing copy that I got on this book, which I never read, but sometimes I'll go back afterwards. I, I hate, sure, I hate sure. it. I hate it. Yeah, I it, do the same. I do the exact same thing. Because it's, like it's I a only lie. Go back. It's sometimes yeah. it's such a lie that it will fuck up my entire reading experience. Yeah. Yeah. And with this one, I knew I was going to read it because of Clint. So I was like, yeah. well, I don't like when they sent it over, I was like, yeah, just send the book. I don't like, I don't. <laughs> sure. Sounds <laughs> yeah. great. Um, but and I never really ask novelists about this, but it's only because they put it in there. They call this an autobiographical novel. But do in you the, feel in the like marketing it is copy one? they call it? Th- yeah, I didn't know so, that they did that. Some, I didn't know that somewhere. they did that. Is it even uh, I mean, I believe you. Listen, I believe you. I, I, I mean, saw you know. that, and I was like, uh, and I yeah. I read it after I read the book, and I was like, well, uh, do you feel that it's that? I mean, I yeah, I've spoken about this with uh, with other people at Knopf too. Is like, I feel like I relate to Orchida, the artist, or the mm. Arash, the uncle as much as I do Cyrus, you know, there are certainly superficial details of Cyrus's in my life that have symmetries. You know, I'm an Iranian American poet in recovery. Um, but so are there symmetries with Arash and Orchide and, um, Ali, his father, you know, 
Um, and so it's autobiographical in that, of course, it's all sure. emanating from my singular unprecedented consciousness and, and everything that I do in language passes through the filter of my experience. But I didn't set out to have Cyrus be an avatar for me or have mm -hmm. some hidden set of symbols or shibboleths that would reveal something um, yeah. autobiographical okay. to the world about myself. I didn't get that sense, but I was yeah. like, I got to ask him because I didn't get that sense. But like, yeah. maybe I just didn't, I couldn't find anything about you online. Yeah. I don't know. And that's, uh, and that's no shade to auto. I mean, like I, no. some of my favorite writers do brilliant autofiction, yeah. um, but I don't think that's what this is. Okay. That's not what I thought either. Okay. Speaking of real life things that are in this book, there is a plane crash that yes. is, this is not a spoiler, very early on. And it is a real plane crash that happened in 1988. Uh, the United States accidentally murdered hundreds of people by shooting down yeah. an Iranian plane. Um, flight 655? Yeah. 655? Yeah, flight 655. Um, on air flight 655. And I wanted to know why you wanted to talk about that in the book. And also, and this is like really small, you talk about the meals that were served and what was in the flight catalog. Did you actually mm -hmm. look that up and find? I did. Okay. Okay. It was yeah. so specific that I was like, yeah. either this guy is crazy and just made up the most specific <laughs> details ever, or he researched the shit out of this. Yeah. Um, okay. So you yeah. researched it. But why, yeah. why did you want to talk about this flight? Yeah, so in 1988, um, a U.S. naval airship shot a civilian Iranian airliner out of the sky over the Persian Gulf, um, and 290 people on board were murdered, including 66 women and children. And nobody knows about it. You know, yeah. nobody, nobody in America knows about it. In Iran, they literally put it on postage stamps. Like, I have an Iranian postage stamp like commemorating this disaster or honoring or wow. memorializing this disaster, right? The same way that, you know, we have 9-11 on post yeah. stamps. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if it were the other way around, like imagine if Iran shot a U.S. airplane, you know, yeah. Iran would have been Don't have to turned imagine. to glass. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and <laughs> and it's like the the imprecision of American justice is a given. Right. Like the the naval airship said they thought it was a military plane and it was flying too close to them. And, you know, the the there's nothing about its behavior or its, you know, communications that said it was a, you know, it was a civilian right. airliner flying on a civilian air path. Right. And that number, 290 is I mean, we're, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the same thing now in Gaza and in Sudan and in Congo and in Ukraine. Right. Like we see these numbers every day and 290, 290 people killed on this flight if it was 291 or if it was 289, my brain wouldn't really be able to register the difference. You know, yeah. like it, they're both sort of like middle large numbers. It's more right. than five, but it's less than 50,000. Right? right. You know, like, um, and, but that difference, that one person's difference is this entire book, right? right. These, these generations and generations of people. And also like, associates of those, you know, right. um, Z is a character in this book whose life is indelibly inflected by this one person's death on that flight. Right. right? right. Um, and I wanted to give the texture of individual narrative mm -hmm. to a collective grief. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I, you know, because that's what fiction can do, because if you see that one of those 290 lives is felt this deeply across this many generations by people so far removed from that right. one person, like it's a big new Ramadan Novak, this Polish Egyptian immigrant who has nothing to do with Iran, you know, yeah. um, but his life is indelibly impacted by right. 
this death that happened 30 years before his birth or 30 years before the actions of the novel. Um, you see that that one life and now, now extrapolate that outwards right. 290 times, right? right. Or however many times, you know, and, and that is the, that is the sort of political exercise that I'm really, really interested in. Right. Yeah. And for myself, right. Like I have struggle, I, or I struggle to make meaning of these abstract numbers. Right. right. But when they are lent the texture of individual narrative, it clarifies the magnitude. Right. Yeah. Um, so if, if the only thing a person walks, if someone's like, I hate this book, but now I will always remember that in 1988, a U.S. Naval air, uh, airship shot Iran Air Flight 655 out of the sky, then that's a rousing success for me. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I'm going to do just like an insanely hard shift. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. You said you don't know the difference between epic and epoch pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. I think I did it right. Yeah. I don't know. What about yeah, a word yeah. that you can never spell correctly on the first try? Oh my god, uh, restaurant! I always oh my forget god, where you're the in the restaurant A-U club. Go. Yeah. Oh, is that a, is that a club? It is the most elite club. Jason Reynolds, <laughs> uh, Angelina Jolie. Wow. Quinn Tarantino. Wow. And then others that I can never yeah, remember, sure. but like many no, people are in that club. It is probably company. the most said word. And for yeah. I'm a person who cannot spell like a truly horrific speller. <laughs> yeah. I can spell restaurant. No fucking problem. Amazing. Restaurant I, I just, is like the never, only word I can spell. Yeah. I can never remember where the AU goes. Yeah. It's, it, I know that an AU exists in it, but who knows? Uh, and like bureaucracy is another. Oh, one. There's that, just I could like never a, do that. A, yeah. It's just like a <laughs> puke pile of vowels somewhere in there. And it's just like pure luck. If you get it. Yeah, right. If you get it right. That's so true. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just a little bit curious about what what things that that you were reading or watching when you were preparing for this, as you mentioned, that yeah. like stick out to you as having been particularly formative or like sure. helpful. Yeah, tell me, orange is there. There is huge, huge, huge for me, both uh, biographically, like in terms of my life, bringing me in touch right. with Tommy, who's now one of my best friends, but also um, just creatively aesthetically in in tricking you by creating such a delicious narrative Mm -hmm. that you don't even notice that he'll go two or three pages of just thoughts about the world you know like he'll he'll just like he'll just be like here's what i think about art or here's what i think about death or here's what i you know and and it'll just be like a little essay a little treatise on dying right but because it's in this narrative package you don't even notice he's doing it right and that i mean this whole book is basically just cribbing him in in that respect right mm. is like it it becomes this incredible way to just figure out what i think about stuff and then right. take antagonistic positions from what i think of, i think just to sort of ventriloquize them and make the sock puppets argue with each other right, right? right so that that is a huge influence on me there's also this book by nicholson baker who um is a big person for me he he's he's this incredible writer of ferocious granular observation you know like the eccentricity of the way that he looks at things mm. is so specific mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. delicious I love um that. and yeah yeah and he had this book called checkpoint that i read in high school and the whole book this is i think it was published in 2004 2005 thereabouts mm-hmm. and so it was right after 9-11, right after we went to war with Iraq, right? 
despite Iraq having nothing to do with it, yeah. you know, nailed it. And yeah. And, <laughs> and the whole book, all of checkpoint is just an ethical conversation mm. sat in a room with this guy who is deliberating whether or not to assassinate George W. Bush and, mm. you know, and the ethics of assassinating yeah. George W. Bush. He's like, I mean, he's killing a lot of people over right, there right, and right. I would just be killing him and myself. So like, is that an ethical good thing? You know? Right. And, and that see, I mean, I read this like when it came out. So, you know, I, I was probably, I don't know, 14, 15, Got it. Uh, but I remember it feeling so radical to me. Mm-hmm. I remember it feeling like, like the anarchist cookbook or something. Like I needed to right. hide it under my mattress, you know, <laughs> because I was this Iranian Muslim kid who had this book about assassinating George W. Bush. And I read it and reread it. And I was like, oh my God, you're allowed to say, you're allowed to admit that you're thinking about the ethics of something like that, you know? And, right. and again, I mean, I didn't, start martyr until 15 years later, right? right. Um, uh, start working on martyr in earnest and it's not going to come out until 20 or I don't know the math, whatever, but you know, it, it's a long time between yeah. these events. But I, I just, I think about that planting the seed of like, mm. you know, I mean this book, I think there's a part in this book where Cyrus talks about the ethics of uh, kidnapping a conservative Supreme court justice or mm. something like mm-hmm. that. Right. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. Like it, it feels like the net bad would be maybe be, better. yeah, worth it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 the idea that I'm allowed to write that yeah. sentence in a book is utterly radical. Still feeling to my mind. You know, I talk to my students a lot about risk. Mm. You know, and I think that you know, there's a place for the kind of risk that says, you know, what drugs you snorted off of what surface or what sex acts you committed in what place, right? Um, But there's also the kind of risk that's just like saying the really scary thing when you're, you you know what I'm saying? Um, The thing that could actually get you in trouble, the thing that could actually have people, you know, June Jordan has a poem um, where the first line is, what if every time they killed a black boy, we killed a cop? Mm, right and she would read that in front of groups of you know and this is this is decades ago you know before you know even saying it now on a podcast just a little like you know yeah but but that feels like risk to me you know what I mean that feels that feels like you're actually advancing something that could be taken away from you you Mm, know what I'm saying um and I'm interested in in artists like that who are really sort of putting putting something on the line yeah I love that I, I told you at the beginning, I don't even know if I said this on air, but I might have said it before, that I was going to ask you a personal question that wasn't that yeah, personal, please, but was exciting please. to me. And we don't have that much time. Yeah. So I have two questions. One of them is, okay. you are a poet in community with some of this show's favorite poets. You are friends with Hanif and Clint. Um, yeah. And in the They're book- They're both in the same group chat, actually. Oh my God, I want to be in the chat. Hello. <laughs> um, I mean, me I, guess, I guess the first- Sorry, I guess the first rule of the group chat is you don't Don't tell who's in the group, in the group chat. chat. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, anyways, I have my own group chats. Don't worry, you'll be jealous too. Um, <laughs> but in the book, basketball comes up a lot. Yeah. And I know some other poets who are also really into sports. Are you yeah. a basketball guy? And who I'm is your team? Guy. The Pacers? I'm, no, I'm actually a Milwaukee Bucks guy. I've been a Bucks fan since like the because oh, so we moved now, around a lot. So now it's a good time to be a Bucks fan. But yeah, but it's the first. I mean, I grew up watching yeah. like the Sam Cassell, Ray Allen, Glenn Robbins, even the Vin Baker Bucks before yeah. that. I'm a Warriors you- fan. But oh, long it's, a, it's a funny time to be a Warriors. <laughs> a, well, now it's gotten really interesting, but it's it used weird, to be right? like hell, and then it was like this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, and now you had it's a good- like. 
you're at the tail end of a of a really incredible i mean this is like a life-defining run i mean yeah. i we're sort of in a similar boat where yeah. like Giannis is the best player who will ever play for my favorite team in my lifetime yes you know what certainly. i mean like there's no one you know there's no there's never going to be a warrior who's drafted by the warriors who's going to yeah. be a more important player than steph curry you know what i right. mean like we're right. we're living in the peaks the of moment. our franchises yes. right now right so i'm trying to like absorb it all and take it all in you know like clint yeah. clint actually took me to uh he was speaking um uh, this was the last like public thing that I did before the quarantine. Um, but it was that buck season. He took me to, uh, he was speaking to the team for, uh, I know, cool. I know. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. He's what? the worst. He's like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> like, I'll be like, uh, you know, I'll be like, ah, you know, like this place said something about my book and he's like, cool. I was hanging out with Giannis today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, actually literally the other day, he, uh, I was talking about American fiction and like how excited uh-huh. I was to see it. This was a couple of weeks ago. And he was like, oh yeah, cool. Uh-huh. No, I just did this. Like I just did this, uh, with Jeffrey Wright. With the, yeah, yeah. I, I, did, I just did this it. event with the star of the film. Yeah. Right? I fucking yeah. saw that. But it was Instagram. literally like, I was yeah. talking about it like that. And then he and then sent me the like, picture. By right? the way. Yeah. 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 But he took me to uh, a King's Bucks game. And because he was the guest, we got to sit like literally like feet on the hardwood. Oh my gosh. And, it was like the coolest experience. I nice. mean, I've been to a lot of Bucks games now, but never like where, never like you know, Chris Middleton is like two right feet in there. front of me. You know right what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's a um, tough time to be a Warriors fan for sure. But I just love yeah. that there's like this poet, guy, poet, basketball contingency. And I'm yeah, like, I found yeah, my people because I'm not into poetry, but I am into basketball. And I'm like, okay, sure, I have sure, something sure. to talk and to you all about. Like Vivian Lee is a is a really, really wonderful editor for Little Brown, who's also like in our, you know, and she's a huge Clippers fan. Vivian you know, Lee is also the lead actress in my favorite film, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> so don't get oh, me excited by saying she, Vivian yeah, Lee yeah, and then yeah, tell oh, me about amazing. an editor. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm sure that she's got, I've never even made that connection. Hers is L.I. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Nabila Loveless is a really, really wonderful poet who's also like a basketball stand. Joy Priest is a wonderful poet okay. who. So there are. And then Natalie Diaz, everyone oh, knows. Course, so, so, yeah. Um, yeah. How are you feeling about Draymond right now? You know, I have a lot of really complicated feelings about it because I'm having a lot of issues. I really hate Adam Silver. I think he's a terrible commissioner sure, and I think sure. he's like a spineless human. And the yeah. whole punishment of this whole thing and like the arbitrariness between the John ja yeah. Morant and the Draymond thing. Oh my has God. Made the ja me, thing. Oh my God. I like wanted to cry last night when, yeah. his when he injury. took He should labrum. sue yeah. them and be like, you yeah. guys fucking owe me for those yeah. 25 fucking games. And for my body for being like weaker because I haven't been playing. Yeah. And then I come yeah. back out and I give you like eight incredible games and then I, I know, get hurt I all off some shit that I did that was fully legal on my social oh my media outside God. of work. Well, and the and the hilarious thing is like, if he was like an NFL player being like, look at my gun closet, here yeah. are 27 AK-47s or some shit, you know? Well, I think it, it has to, I think he would have had to be a white player. I think the whole point 100%. is that he's a well, black player, yeah, sorry, you know? I, like if he was like a black yeah. quarterback, it wouldn't have been yeah, any different. Yeah, yeah. But the whole like, Jaw Morant punishment and then trying to justify whatever they do to anyone else based off the arbitrariness of that has made this whole Draymond thing really frustrating for me because I'm like, if you want to punish him for something that he did during his work job that is against the rules of the job, which I understand for the work job, it's against the rules. So I get that. Like, You super shouldn't do things. But if that is something that he's done, then you as the institution that is punishing him, you should have some guidelines about what you're going to do. The indefinite suspension, if it's a thing, like, do you know what I mean? It's like, this this should fully be 
in your little handbook. Hey, if you yeah. keep hitting people or choking out yeah. players that everyone hates and nobody wants yeah. to defend or whatever, <laughs> like yeah. then you're going to get 10 games or you're going to get yeah. 15 games. Yeah. But saying it's like first offense is like a fine. Yes. Second offense is one game. Yes. Or, like, and it's but like, there should be, there should be rules because yeah. now I'm like, okay, well is what Draymond did actually less bad than what yeah. John Morant did? Yeah, yeah. So I know. I'm having all of those feelings. No, uh, <laughs> I feel exactly the same. I've always loved, like, I love those sort of undersized players who are just like all over the court, like yeah. diving after every. So I've loved. I also love Draymond. I yeah, my too, favorite kind of athlete is yeah, the same. is the villain. I love a yeah, villain. Like yeah, I like yeah, yeah. Steph Curry because he's great, but I'm like, yeah. mm, he's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Steph Curry kind of Steph Curry is like the rich man's Russell Wilson in terms of just being who like, is my like least just, favorite black athlete. I <laughs> well, it's Russell just like Wilson. that sort of like everyone likes me and I'm kind of neutral about, you yes. know, like Steph Curry actually has yes. thoughts and ideas. Yes. And, and, and Steph advances. Curry is a little, can be like a little chesty sometimes. Russell Wilson is not When the games matter. Yeah, yeah. When the games matter, Steph Curry gets more than a little chesty, yeah. which, I, which I love. I mean, like I say this, you know, like I love that competitive streak when he Same. lets it out. But he's also like very, yeah. um, Clean he's cut. a sweet guy. Like he's you, you understand that constitutionally, yes. like he would, he would have your back, you know. Um, but I, yeah, I, I too, like Montrez Harrell was one of my favorite players ever. And now he's like basically out of the league yeah. for the same sort of vibe, you yeah. know, like he was just like dive. He's like a little undersized, but diving after every loose ball and you know, all this. Okay. Last question. If you could have one person dead or alive, read martyr, who would you want it to be? Oh my God. Wow. I was not ready for that. <laughs> um, I just, in the interest of me not hemming and hawing forever, uh, I'll say Borges. I, I oh. love Borges so much. He's like one of my Mount Rushmore guys. Okay. And just, just, just to be able to say that Borges spent time with a thing that I made. I don't, you know, I don't think he'd like, it. you know, I, whatever. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's this is about you. It's not about him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just, to be able to know in my marrow that Borges engaged with a piece of art that I made would be incredible. If you ask me this question again in an hour, I'll have a different answer. Yeah. But, but, uh, I should have, I should have, I didn't think about this. No, I'm glad that, that you didn't. At all. We got yeah. an, we got an authentic, unprepared answer. Yeah. 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 But well, yeah, I think it would be cool. Everyone, that's it for us today. Martyr by Kaveh Akbar. You can get it wherever you get your books. I read the book, but I am told the audiobook is fucking fantastic. A friend of mine, Rosman from the Stacks Pack, read it, loved it, said it was so well done. So if you're an audiobook person, I will give it my official, unofficial stamp of approval because I haven't listened. <laughs> but the book is so good. I can't imagine it wouldn't be great. Um, you can get it. The book is out now as you're listening to this. It came out yesterday as you're listening to this. So go get it. Let's get this book on all the lists and everything. I have no doubt we will be talking about it all year long. So thank you so much, Kave. Thank you so much, Tracy. This was so much fun. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Kaveh Akbar for joining the show. I'd also like to say a special thank you to Josie Cowles for helping to make this conversation possible. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for January is Erasure by Percival Everett. And we will be discussing that book on January 31st with our guest, Zach Stafford. If you love the show and you want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram, threads, and TikTok, and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. 
This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Tracy Thomas.